box. You opened it. We came. It's just a puzzle box! Oh no. It is a means to summon us. Welcome to Filmstrip's Hellraiser series. Explorers in the further regions of experience. Demons to some. Angels to others. Featuring Nick. Come to daddy. And Jay. This is it. The old homestead. These podcasts will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and details of the Hellraiser films. Oh, no tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. Welcome to Filmstrip. Let me say that when I don't feel like a 13-year-old kid. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Nick. (laughs) (laughs) And this is our review of Hellraiser Debtor, the seventh installment in our Hellraiser retrospective, starring Kari Wurr, Doug Bradley, and Paul Reese, directed by Rig Bota, released in 2005 on a budget of $4 million, allegedly, and going direct to video. So, Nick, the last two installments of this have been... Interesting departures from, I guess, the main thread of stuff. I've liked Inferno a lot. You kind of liked it. I gave Hellseeker a little bit more of a pass, but we both ultimately said that it was okay. But my question is, where, where is the franchise going at this point? Because now they are literally, these next two films, they were something else. They weren't just ideas that then got Hellraiser put on them, like the last two. These were done, complete scripts, that they decided, hey, let's make those Hellraiser movies. So they shoved it in there. So, I mean, where are, where is your franchise when that is what is happening? <laughs> it's the diehard effect, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's not a good sign when they're basically taking, you know, scripts that they probably bought off of some uh, kid out of college for, you know, $10,000 and they're throwing <laughs> Pinhead into it. I mean, that's kind of how a lot of this like directed you know video stuff especially with like a series like this that's gone on as long as this and even just i was kind of thinking you know you look at like the other really long horror series you know you got like jason you got freddy you got saw halloween and, you know yeah yeah halloween and the thing you gotta say about those you know those were at least all movies that were theatrical releases you know right. whether or not they were butchered scripts or whatever i'm not sure but those were at least planned to come out to the theater and at least somewhat, you know, I guess they had confidence in them or something, or at least they were trying to do something where these are, at least I'm getting the feeling is they want to probably make a good Hellraiser movie, but somewhere way down the line. So these are just basically attempts to keep the franchise, you know, there's yeah. some, something where it's something with a contract where they got to make a movie every couple of years to be able to hold on to the rights to Pinhead and Hellraiser. And that's kind of how I'm going into this movies viewing it is that these movies are going to be real, just hodgepots, you know, hodgepodge real quick films that they do just to keep the rights. No, I think you're exactly right. They, they won't admit that about these two installments, but I think that's exactly why they exist. And it, this is one thing about the Hellraiser series. I don't think you could put Saw in that category. That came in after 2000. That's a different world of horror now. But I think the other ones that you mentioned, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Halloween, those are the competitors of Hellraiser, if you will. Those are its, its kin. But those things all had one thing in common. This one didn't. They all started way early. By 1987... We were into, what, six Friday the 13th, three or four Halloweens at that point. We had had you know, four or five Nightmare on Elm Streets. I mean, this one got a later start than, all of, than, than any of those others. And the, 
the thing is, is I don't think there's ever been any real money put behind this series, Nick. I mean, it, at times they have come up with ways to you know increase the budget, but it's always been wasted on like effects and things like that. I don't think they've ever put any real dough behind this thing. And so now that they're just going direct to video, I mean, even if you watch the trailers of these things, you can tell this is pretty much like, hey, you're a Hellraiser fan, right? Well, guess what? Here's another one. Give us $20. I mean, that's really what, pretty much what they should say. Hey, we're going to take a movie. We're going to put some guys in some bad latex costumes on here. And we're going to pay Doug, Doug Bradley, you know, some money to be in it for 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, he's getting paid to show up and do extended cameos at this point. At the very best. I, I just, it, it amazes me that um, that's allowed to pass as much as it is. But it is how Hollywood often works. So we shouldn't be you know completely surprised by it. I mean, can, can, can you think of another horror franchise, though, where the main face is so absent throughout the entire movie? I mean, no. Uh, and, and that's Jaws. That's, <laughs> well, you know, they tried that with one of the Jason films and it failed miserably. You know, the, the fifth one that was new, yeah, the fifth one. Yeah. The new beginning. That was terrible. They tried it with one of the Halloween movies. They tried to do one without Michael Myers. And while most will tell you that's a terrible film, I think it's just a different kind of film. Maybe someday we can get to Halloween. We'll talk about it, but it, it didn't work. And that's the, the truth. It didn't work on the screen. It didn't work for anybody. And it's just a niche thing now. If it, if it works at all, is Pinhead supposed to be the, does he have to be the face of this franchise? They stick his face on every movie, but you know, he's barely in any of them. So, even that first one, you could argue he wasn't the face of it. That was about Kirstie and Frank and all that other stuff. Yeah, but the difference is with that, you actually have compelling characters and a coherent plot. Yeah, you are true. You are true. So, well, I, you know, we, we've got to get into this one and Deader. Uh, now, it should be said that doesn't mean like more dead, folks. That It's an actual noun in this film. <laughs> Uh, it describes a group of people. I don't know. Uh, interesting choice of words. I guess we'll get into that as we go. But Nick, why don't you tell us what happens in Hellraiser Debtor? I will try to. Investigative reporter Amy Klein goes to Bucharest to investigate the origins of a videotape depicting the ritualistic murder and resurrection of a member of a of a member of the cult called the Debtors. Amy tracks down the return address of the VHS and discovers the course of the girl holding the puzzle box. Solving the box causes Pinhead to appear and warns Amy that she is in danger. Amy tracks down Winter Le Marchand, the leader of the cult and a descendant of the toy maker who designed the puzzle box. Winter believes that as the heir to the Le Marchand name, <laughs> it is his birthright to access the realm of the Cenobites and become their master. Dun, dun, dun. So, okay, so, however, Winter has been unable to open the box himself, believing that it takes an individual who has... <laughs> Believing that it takes an individual who is at a point beyond life or death, he founded the debtors, attracting an emotionally vulnerable individuals, murdering them and resurrecting them in hopes of creating someone who can open the box. Winter kills and resurrects Amy, resulting in her experiencing extended waking dream sequence, which she relives sexual abuse from her childhood. <laughs> Go ahead. Coming back to reality in the debtor's compound, Amy successfully opens the box and summons the Cenobites. Their leader, Pinhead, expresses disdain for Winter and his family and denies them that any mortal could ever control the Cenobites. 
Pinhead and the Cenobite slaughter all the debtors, including Winter, before indicating to Amy that she is now indebted to them for opening the box. Rather than be taken back to the Cenobite realm, Amy kills herself, and we kill ourselves for watching us. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, now look, the the fifth one, I'll go back again and say I liked it. It was a cheesy noir flick, but it's pretty much, this is what happens when you open the box and what it's like to realize you're now in, in our world. The sixth one was more of another take on that, but you know, dead the whole time, and Kirsty shouting in the head, which we, we discussed. This, this, this... Worst detectives ever. This, oh, yeah. This is... Uh, well, okay, you said in the first line, Amy goes to Bucharest to investigate. Amy goes to Bucharest because it's really cheap to shoot there. So that's uh, yeah. There's one thing about Bucharest you need to know about. There's two things that are really cheap there: filming and breast implants. Those things are really cheap there. Apparently so. And we didn't even talk about the train, the the crazy train that she goes. We'll we'll get to that, I guess, as we get into this thing. But that, man, that train is pretty awesome, though. It's maybe the most awesome thing in this uh, crazy movie. But uh, yeah, that's the plot summary. And uh, you know, I. I guess let's start with the setup here. In 2005, horror was about a lot of things, but we are in a post-ring world. Now, you ever seen The Ring, Nick, the VHS tape of Doom? I have. I've seen both of them. Yep. Um, Fortunately and unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, especially on that second one. But yeah, I've seen them both as well. And there, I mean, there was a lot of J-horror coming through. Japanese horror films getting remade left and right, it seemed like, by Amer- for American audiences. I mean, there was that awful one with one of the kids from Dawson's Creek you know, about a, a ghost on his shoulders while he's taking pictures and all sorts the of grudge. stuff. Yeah, they had the grudge. Well, the grudge is one of the better ones. But yeah, that was in there. And, you know, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of this stuff. So... At, at this point, I'm like, well, if Hellraiser is, is going to be anything and try to keep up with what's going on, the, you know, they're taking a look around and go, hey, we should have a dangerous VHS tape as well. The problem is that in 2005, well, yeah, in 2002 in the ring, they actually talk about this is really old in this. Nobody even bats an eye like, oh, yeah, it's a VHS. Tape. In 2005, Nick, I don't know that I had a working VCR anymore. I think I had to get one because I was trying to watch some old VHS tapes, but I don't know that I owned one still. So. Yeah, I'm, I, I came from pretty much the definition of a middle class family. Yeah, and we basically all had DVD players by 2001. <laughs> there was no such thing as VHS. I think we kept the Disney VHS things in like the special, like you know, over plastic size casing, just yeah. because of Disney and not releasing anything. But we've never watched those since we got a DVD player. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I watch, I, I have some old VHSs that occasionally I'll break out, you know, because I have a working player now. It, I rarely can make it through one of them. I'm like, I probably have it on DVD or it's probably online streaming somewhere that I can watch nowadays. Or, you know what, I just don't need to see it that bad. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the other thing I usually decide when it comes down to VHS. No one even bats an eye that this is a VHS tape of doom here so this is bucharest man they just got vhs dude this is like cutting edge for them i guess they just so. got that and they just got freaking <laughs> miami vice <laughs> i think so but amy is the investigative reporter for hire and we get this whole sense that she and this editor of and it, do you get him as kind of like a sleazy tabloid brit magazine or something like that that's how i took it almost i don't know you ever seen poltergeist 3 kind of reminded me yeah like the therapist in poltergeist 3 you said that similar look and just mm-hmm. kind of like this sleazy, you know, 
jackass. I don't know. I think you've hit it. Very sleazy. Yes. Very much a sleaze, but somebody that, you know, uh, she would wind up working for and stuff like that. And they bring her in. Now, I'm going to say a lot of very negative things about this movie if it's not already clear, okay? The one thing I will compliment this film for out of the gate is I actually think Kari War is doing a pretty decent job with what she's been handed here. Now, this script is terrible, and there's no doubt and no getting around that, but she is given a lot to it to try to give it some bit of legitimacy. She's trying to play it as straight as possible. So I, I kind of dug her, even though I, I wondered where we were going. I'm glad you dug her. Man. I thought she was freaking <laughs> awful. I mean, I thought she was basically as freaking wooden as uh guy. We got to bring up George Lucas again. We got to bring up uh, Anakin Skywalker himself. Christensen. Uh, she is no worse than Ashley Lawrence's Kirstie. There, you cannot tell me that she's any worse than that. I think Ashley Lawrence is a little better than her. It's probably has to do a lot with the script and the director. But ah, man, I found her just to be incredibly wooden, and I don't know. I just didn't buy her as like this, you know, Lois Lane style detective. (laughs) You know, try to try to crack this case of this murder suicide resurrection cult. I mean. I don't know, man. I guess it's just this whole setup with the whole movie right in the beginning. It's just the VHS really took me out of this, man. Yeah. It's 2005, man. Yeah. I, I mean, it is a weird thing. I mean, they don't have – look, in 2005, we had cell phone cameras. Like, they don't have something like that to go around. But but even let's get beyond the technology problems we're having here. Why couldn't they have this, like, be on YouTube? Like, this is a video on YouTube. Oh my God, this looks really, yeah, this looks really real. Because, Nick, American audiences will never believe foreign places have the internet. That's, I mean, they already have said it in a foreign place. I've been serious. I think that's probably some of the discussion they had. (laughs) What about the whole idea, though, what we see here? Well, better yet, what do we see here? We see a blonde chick die or seemingly get stabbed to death, right? And then resurrected? Is that. Is that really what happens in this videotape? Yeah, this videotape where there's really only one camera, but yet there's cuts going on. I, I found that to be cool. <laughs> but yeah, um, <laughs> yeah he was real, they, were, they edited the hell out of this. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, man, they killed her and they brought her back to life. I mean, that's, that's, that's what's going on. And this woman's just like, I got to go find out what's going on with this. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's our plot. Yeah, it's, it's, she's going to go to Bucharest to figure out what what is the deal with these, who are these people, what is this. And what we'll come to learn is that they are indeed a cult called the Debtors. And it's revealed throughout the film later on about what their real purpose is. But all we know is that these are people that are strung out on the edge of life and, and not really having a lot to live for anymore. Right, like that. I, I got a movie analogy for you right now, man. One you probably would have never thought I'm going to bring up in a movie retrospective. You ever see Dude Where's My Car? Yes, I have. This is this is striking me as the cult from that movie, where I think everybody's going to start going like Zartan, you know, putting up their hands, making a Z when this guy comes up. I mean, who came up? With, who who joins a cult called the Debtors? I mean, that is like the lamest name I have ever heard. For a cult. Well, beyond the lame name, like, I don't even know what Winter Le Marchand is trying to sell them on. You know, I'll show you immortality. I, I mean, they're not even playing up the sexual aspect that has been the undertone of the original Hellraiser source material. You know, the, I mean, they're not even working off of that angle. So 
I don't know what he's giving them or, and what he's selling them to get them to be a part of this. I, surely he can't be telling them the truth. I'm going to kill you and resurrect you to see if you can open a box. Then I'm not really sure what will happen when it does. I mean, it's they could almost have played it like, you know, what's that movie with uh, Kevin Bacon and... Uh, Stir of Echoes. No, the one where they um, are killing each other and then bring them oh, back to... Oh, uh, Flatliners with Julia yeah, Fox? They, yeah. Yeah, they could have done something like that where maybe, like, they're able to, like, bring, like, the whole, like, hell aspect or afterlife aspect where mm. we're going to kill you, you're going to enter it in the afterlife, and we're going to bring you back, and that's the whole thing that maybe they're pissing off Pinhead or something like that because, you know, let's, let's, you know, obviously... Pinhead in this whole area now is basically hell. It's no longer like the sexual realm like it was in the first an afterlife. And maybe these people are kind of entering his realm, you know, getting tortured and getting pleasured and all this stuff like that. But they're able to take him back also. They're able to experience the stuff to be able to come back alive. And they're pissing off Pinhead in the meantime. I mean, something like that would have been a lot more, you know, I guess better mm -hmm. than just like this cult with really no purpose yeah i agree i mean well the, the cult has a purpose and this is the other thing i wanted to talk about well the, the leader the leader has a purpose for the cult right but the, well the cult is to do his bidding that's what the purpose is but the, that's what i wanted to talk about why on earth okay i know why you would tie yourself to previous entries in the franchise that makes sense when you're getting into the sixth and seventh chapters here but why on earth would you anchor yourself to what is by far the worst of the first four like that bloodline nobody holds up as like this great film in the hellraiser retrospective right why would you tie yourself back to the puzzle box maker people i think that they think that maybe they're just tying it all back in together that somehow this is a real sequel or something. I mean, they did it with the last one, bringing back Christy Cotton and really, uh, mm -hmm. I mean, what did Christy Cotton's character really bring to that story? I mean, her being in there. Really Apparently she can survive car wrecks after blowing somebody's head off. So that, you know, she's got something going on, but yeah. Yeah. And, and come with the worst freaking alibi in the world for, you know, the dumbest police officers in the world. Hey, dumbest cops on earth. It doesn't matter. So, but even here, this, this whole cult, this idea that I am as a lay Marchand, it is my destiny to rule the Cenobites. Now, wait a minute. The Le Marchands were not evil people. They didn't even know what they were creating. He was the exact opposite. Exactly. He was a good guy. And as the, if the fourth one stands as canon, they spend their whole you know existence coming up with ways to beat Pinhead until one of them in you know twenty two whatever finally blows him up in space. Right. So. It's it's not like the the Le Marchands were all of a sudden you know the the cult of Jigsaw or something. You know, I, mean, I, don't, I don't get why these people all the you know now they have a descendant who decides I'm going to rule the Cenobites. What exactly would that look like? You know, why would you want that one? And then what would what are you going to get out of that? What are you going to do with them? Yeah, you're going to make them more slavish. They they're slaves by nature, right? Yeah, I mean they do the summing of Leviathan. I mean, if you're going to go by the second movie, and I, you know. I don't know. I mean, what is the end game here? I mean, that's kind of the whole thing is you got like a bunch of ideas, but no real conclusions to those ideas. Uh, now you've said something that, that has opened up another box of worms. Rick Bota, our director here. I, I'm just going to say it now. Maybe a brilliant cinematographer can do some really good stuff with a camera, but I don't think he knows how to get performance out of 
any of his actors here. Not that they're really great anyway, but even even the worst director can get something out of these out of an actor. I don't think you can get anything out of them, and I don't think there's anything there. I mean, this this feels as half baked an idea as they've ever put on celluloid. And seven chapters in, that's saying something because they've really you know floated some humdingers out there for us, Nick. But this one feels the dumbest of all of them. Dumber. <laughs> Calories are dumber. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and even like in this movie, it's just got like, I'm going to not lie. I mean, some of the imagery is kind of cool. I mean, the movie looks cheap. I'm going to say that right away. I mean, when I started watching this, you got kind of like that hazed over look on this film. Um, it really, you know like, what? It, it looks like it was shot on a VHS camcorder. <laughs> it does. It does. It completely does. I mean, it looks like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Room. Yes. Mm-hmm. That Tony or Tommy Wizow or whatever the hell his name is. So yeah, but, mm-hmm. yeah. But the movie really felt like it was shot by the same guy who shot that movie. <laughs> it's just got this very like amateur film school style look to it. Just everything is very flat. Everything's really dimly lit. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, really, I-, I can posit the dimly lit thing. That's a great way to hide a cheap budget. Remember. Uh, Aliens versus Predator Requiem, how dark we talked about that movie being. That's the way yeah. that's how you hide cheap. Almost like the climax of Insidious, where it's like, let's just throw a smoke smoke machine in here. <laughs> well, I you know, you work with what you've got. Yes. Sometimes cheap can work. Look, the original Saw was incredibly cheap. It doesn't I mean it looks cheap compared to its sequels, but by itself, it doesn't look cheap. You know, you, cheap is not always a bad thing. You can do good stuff with cheap. Hell, the original Halloween looks amazing, and it's nearly thirty. It's over thirty years old, and it's. You know, well, that comes cheap. down to two things. Yeah. That, that comes down to you know the director and the talent, right? And it comes down to basically being able to work that money into the film and make it show that it's not cheap. I yeah. mean, like Halloween and stuff like that. It wasn't like they're doing big sprawling shots or they're trying. You know. Well, they're not even capturing Bucharest, and I've never been to Bucharest, but I've seen enough of it on. Uh, I don't want to go to Bucharest. Yeah, I've seen enough of it on television to know there's more to it than this. the The thing they spend any money on here, if they spend any money at all on any of this stuff, is the train. And we need to talk about the. I call it the midnight meat train, even though I know that would make uh, Clive Barker very angry that I would equate this to that you know grand thing of his. But it's this train of. You didn't see this with me, Nick, but I reviewed a movie called Donkey Punch with uh, Brian way back when and one of the original Shocktobers. And the people on in the movie Donkey Punch would populate this train. It's, it's the same kind of folks. I mean, it's like they want to sprinkle in that hedonistic idea that there's all these people on this train that are part of the debtors. And what we'll come to learn is that Amy is hallucinating that they're all alive. They're actually all slaughtered and dead and rotting corpses by the end of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. See, that's part I didn't get, though. They were dead the entire time and she was just hallucinating. Well, see, that's the thing you got to know is Amy gets killed and resurrected early in this movie. She just doesn't realize that's happened to her. It, it takes a long time because she winds up getting stabbed and stabbed and stabbed over and over again and never dies. And the reason for that is because she's pretty much been dead the whole time or, or you know, an undead or whatever you want to call it. That's why she doesn't realize these are dead until she you know starts to open up her eyes to what's really going on around her. I think that's what we're supposed to believe. I'm giving the movie quite a bit to get to that point. but I, th- I didn't pick up on any of that. I just picked it up that it was like, oh, we're going to shock you and everybody's dead. I, I didn't pick that up at all, that she was 
you know, basically living with the other dead people or seeing dead people as alive people. I just. Yes. That, well, the I see dead people. That's another thing they're throwing into here. I think that's exactly what's happened, though. That's what we're supposed to believe because Le Marchand pretty much lays that on her when he's revealing everything to her in the end, in his classic James Bond villain fashion to tell us everything. You know, he. He lays it all out for her there. So I think that's what we're supposed to be. But I will say for visual style, the train does look cool. I mean, it, it's gory and it's messy and it's, I mean, it looks like jigsaws come through and just torn people to ribbons, right? Or the Tasmanian devil or something. I guess. I mean, just <laughs> a lot of freaking red, uh, red, red fake blood from Halloween Express. <laughs> you know what it reminded me of, if anything, Nick? Uh, the uh, elementary school where I grew up used to throw a heck of a haunted house. Uh, in its day, and going into the lower part of the school where the lower classrooms were, there was always like the tunnel of terror, basically. And you know, your your average JCs could could pull off what they do here, but for the compared to the rest of the film, it looks grand. So it's it's the biggest spectacle in the whole movie. It is, but that's not saying much. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. So. I don't know, man. You seems like you're really, really desperately trying to tie a bow on a turd. <laughs> I am. I am trying to see the best because I know what is coming. <laughs> and we're we're gonna get oh, there next week. But I swear, man, she's not attractive or anything like that. But she's got a good personality. You're that type of guy. Right? That, well, if I'm doing that with this movie, then yes, I will be that. As the horror guy of the continuous play universe, I I will admit I will try and polish these from time to time. But there, I, I'm coming to my breaking point. But I'm trying to get through what the film is telling us. The thing we haven't talked about yet that really cracked me up in the plot summary is what Amy starts to have flashbacks about. <laughs> When she gets a hold of the box, she starts having a a walking nightmare about, is it her uncle that is locking her in the closet and she killed him? Or did she just dream she killed him for abusing her as a child? I I don't know, but we're in a real icky, weird place when this starts happening. I I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know what's even going on at this point. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Like probably two thirds of this movie, my interest really started waning really hard and it was really hard to watch the rest of this. So I'm going to take your word and say, yeah, that's what happened. (laughs) And well, you know what it feels like they've thrown this in there to try to be shocking and edgy, you know, because they're going direct to video. So it doesn't matter what they do in a lot of ways. So they can just do whatever they want. And I'm sure with whatever Kari were was willing to go with, they went with it. I don't know what happens. I don't know what this is supposed to reveal about her, you know, but all it does is it leads us. It feels like it's 20 minutes of the movie where they're just stretching out the plot or, or the time because they didn't have enough to make it. You know, it's only 88 minutes long anyway, and eight minutes of that is credits. So it, it's barely long enough to even be called a feature film at this point. Yeah, this this really does. This part of the movie really does feel like filler. Like it it is drag. Close. Yes, it drags. Yeah. Because really, what is the point of this? I, that's what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to tell us about her unless they're letting us know that when push comes to shove, when it's all said and done, we can count on Amy to do the tough thing, to make the hard decision and do what's right, whatever that might be in this twisted universe. Because what we find out is that Winter is what he's wanting to do is call upon the Cenobite. So Amy opens up the box and oh, guess what? Guess who shows up for the movie? I checked. I checked the time. Fifty-seven minutes yeah. into the movie. One hour. Fifty-seven minutes. Yep. Not even a flashback. How the hell does that happen? At least in the first one, it started off with him. 
his face and his, I mean, Kari Wurz's face is on the thing in the image of the box, but he is like holding the box in puzzle format on the cover of the DVD. And he is not in this thing until the last 15 minutes of it. Yeah. That is like making a Nightmare on Elm Street movie where Freddy shows up at the end of the third act. <laughs> you, know? I don't like, you know, it's it's a lot like Friday the 13th, Jason Goes to Hell. Oh, yeah, where there's no real Jason until he finally rebirths out of a 70s star, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's a, Oh, you know what? Maybe Well, gosh, that was years before this. I don't know why they would chase that, but it seems like they're just borrowing from all of it. But I love the, the one thing that we get here, and it, I don't know if this is continuity or if it's just the way it was written or you know how they came up with it, but the idea that, you know, once again, we have somebody trying to make a deal with Pinhead. And Pinhead is like, nope, no more deals. <laughs> like, apparently the Kirstie thing has ruined him forever. And they just, I mean, he and the Cenobites lay waste to the debtors in pretty gory, quick fashion. So which Cenobites were in this one, though? You had Pinhead. I, was, I don't know any of them had names. So. Was Chatterer in this one, though? Kind of. There was one that sort of looked like that. It, they're just random Cenobites. They're kind of like the last two. It's just people that, you know, you know they're they Cenobites. They terrible, though, don't they? The, the makeup is not there. They obviously blew all of that on the train. And then to me, is like, why do you even need them? I guess the thing is because when Pinhead arrives, he always brings a posse. So he never just comes by himself, right? And so they have to have someone there. But I would have been fine if he just showed up and said, you're going to rule us and then just chain shot out from everywhere, killed everyone. And he's like, no. And then that would have been it. That'd have been fine. But this is just awful. Yeah, it, it is. And I just want to say to it, just about the makeup on these Cenobites now. I mean, it's terrible, man. It looks like literally like they got a mask out of a Halloween store and just put it on the guy. It's There's, cheap. It, yeah. It is so latexy. It is, I mean, it wasn't even like they even tried to put any type of texture onto the skin or anything like that. It is, it's just bad looking. And when you see it, I mean, you can try to shade it or keep them in the darks, you know, as much as you want, but you can tell when a makeup is bad makeup. And this yeah. is just bad makeup. You know, you, th- you think, you know, this is supposed to be the big money shot of the movie is with these guys coming through. And it just, if this was your money shot, it just shows how much of a failure the whole movie is. I was going to say, it, I don't think it was. I think the train was what the director and everyone else were interested in. This is is just a is just perfunctory. It's like we've got to get to the end and we've got to kill all these people. Why not have everything happen on the train in the end? Why not make the climax on the train? I'm with you. And here, here's the problem with this, too, is we've never been asked to... Well, if we've ever been asked to take a side on the Cenobites, it was that you did not want them around. Or you were supposed to be against Pinhead and what he was doing, right? This film, it doesn't matter if they're good. You want them to take out the debtors because the debtors are the bad people, right? That's what you want to happen or you're supposed to want to happen in this. And so now you're waiting for the primary antagonist to show up and take out people you have no feeling for at all. So that's why it feels so, yeah, because who cares? I didn't care about the debtors, did you? I care what happens to Amy, sort of, but I don't care about the debtors. 
I was just like, dude, just kill them. Please <laughs> just kill them. Well, and they do. They, they slaughter them. I mean, there's no doubt. But what did you think about the the very end of it here? Is Amy essentially is saying, you know, he's telling her, you know, you open the box. So we, you know, we come for whoever opens the box. So you're now going to come with us. And she decides to kill herself instead of go with the Cenobites. I didn't know that was an option. I don't know. Isn't killing yourself an immortal sin there, and you're going to end up? Uh, I don't think we're playing in that same kind of in same kind of rule book here, Nick. I, I think that's been thrown out the window long ago. See, again, if they would have went with my idea that they're going into his realm with Beth and then coming back, oh, in the end, she kills herself, and it's like, oh, the twist is she's still there. You know, it's yeah. like you know, you're gonna try to escape hell. Well, guess what? You just took yourself into hell. I mean, they could have done something like that, but. Yeah, it just felt like a cheat. It felt like, you know, hey, maybe they watched Alien 3 one too many times. And like, let's have our hero and kill herself at the end. And boom, that's the end. Yeah, and it, it is, just feels like the ending. But there's a there's a scene at the very, very end. The last shot of the movie is we're back in the editor's office. They bring in another pretty young reporter thing. And he starts telling her about, I've just gotten this wild videotape. So he's going to send somebody else on a goose chase for it, basically. And it, they do a push-in close-up on him and Amy in a picture together. And it looked like, you know, the end of The Shining. When they're pulling in and you see Jack Torrance there or whatever, but... I have looked at that. Nick, I've rewatched that scene at least five times. I don't know what we're supposed to see there, but I'm not seeing it. But what is the purpose of that? So what you're saying is the last scene is kind of like a redo of the beginning, but with a different person coming in and he's showing them the same video or he, yeah, he's going to show them the same video apparently to send someone else on the same chase to figure out what the heck this is all about. Because Amy apparently never filed the story. Don't, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, is he supposed to be in on it? Like, dun dun dun. He's in. You know, he's. Is that what they're trying to say? Is that it? Maybe. Oh, but that doesn't. But that doesn't make any sense, though. Yeah, because we would have needed him to show up somewhere else in the movie for that to be the case. See, this again, half baked ideas, and they just throw this crap on the screen, and you're supposed to go, ooh, ah, mysterious, and they're even playing mysterious music with it, and it's. But I'm with you. I, I was done with this before long before Amy ever plunged the knife in herself. So it was it was pretty clear where I was going to go. Oh, how could she kill herself though? Because you're saying though she's already dead. She, that's the that's the other thing. It's, it's, if she's already been dead and resurrected, I guess you can kill yourself again. I don't know. But she couldn't die before though. Well, uh, yeah, because I think it was just her dreams torturing her versus something actually killing. All right, this movie makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much. I'm pretty much right at the point that we're going to do something very obvious here. Final thoughts, popcorn ratings. Nick, tell me how much of a small popcorn Hellraiser debtor is. It, it, it's the smallest of popcorns. It's a burnt kernel on the bottom of the bucket uh, that's been, you know, puked in. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a very small popcorn. This movie is just beyond bad. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, even from what we were talking about at the end right there, the last little twist scene that I didn't even get to because I had to turn this freaking thing off. <laughs> and just, yeah, just her killing her, himself, herself. And nothing makes any sense. I think they had a script. They threw Pinhead into there. They realized a lot of the stuff wasn't making any sense. And they just kept it because, hey, it's just what we got here. It's just a really, really sad, desperate attempt to try to make a buck and to keep the rights of this series. So very small popcorn for me. I, it's a small popcorn of my NT. You know, if you want to take the kernel analogy a little bit further, it's that one that's half popped. 
that like it looks like oh that could be really good and then you realize there's too much of the shell still on it. I'm not gonna eat that. I'm not gonna break my teeth on that. So you just yeah, it's to say that it breaks your molar. Yeah, exactly. Like no, I'm not doing that. I'm not breaking my tooth on this piece of crap. And you move on from it because that's what this is. This is not worth even your time, people. I I am telling you, I will rarely ever tell you don't watch anything because I think you know you consume stuff if you want to, folks. She figured out we give you ratings because that's just what we do here on the show, but. You know, I'll tell you now, if you listen to this and haven't bothered with uh, Debtor, please don't. It it is not worth your time. Go plant a tree. Go volunteer at the shelter. Say something nice to a kid or help an old lady cross the street. Better uses of your time than anything in Hellraiser Debtor. Nick, we have two more chapters to go, and I can only hope that there is something in Hellworld and in Revelations that... We can end on an upswing because the, I mean, we have I have never been a part of a series that steadily continued downward more than this one has. I, we have never gone this long into a film review series where it just seems like there is no light at the end of the tunnel. Tell me there's hope. I don't think there's hope, man. <laughs> well, I do know this, that the tagline for the next film <laughs> is evil goes online. So <laughs> we're going to see what in the heck that even means next time, folks. Well, if, if we're going to go by what's happening in this movie, VHS, it might be set in 2006, and they might have AOL. So, Well, you know, I'm wondering, is it going to be a dial-up sound for Pinhead? <laughs> we'll see. Folks, 28K modem. <laughs> Maybe he's downloaded stuff on Kazaa or Napster. Anyway, folks, thanks for joining us on this latest episode of Filmstrip. You can find more episodes in not only the Hellraiser retrospective, but all of our other movie reviews at our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. We got we actually have good stuff in there. We've done the Superman films. We've done Batman. Uh, we've done more horror stuff like When a Stranger Calls and Blair Witch Project. Uh, some funny stuff too. Ghostbusters. We go way back when and you know, fun things like Tremors and all kinds of stuff there for you folks. Check it out. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show and we appreciate your support. Till next time for Nick, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Visit our website continuousplaypodcast.com for more reviews and episodes. Now you must come with us. Taste our pleasures. All content used or discussed in this podcast are the property of their respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act Section 504C2, Title 17.